was thinking this week, which is not a good thing, which is not usually a good thing, unless God somehow would grab a hold of my thoughts or I would bring every thought into captivity. Sometimes we think thinking is a good thing. It's only a good thing if it's brought into captivity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our natural thoughts will only lead us away from God, will only lead us to being unthankful and away from God's purpose. But I was thinking, regardless, because sometimes we, we can't help to think, and I, I wanted to say something because I think it's important to understand, especially for me and then hopefully for you as well. Now, last week during the meeting, I noticed that a lot of people were laughing. And I kind of found that remarkable. Uh, that I don't know how to say this, but I'm able to make people laugh. And I don't know how that's possible, because I'm not really a happy person. <coughs> and I, I don't, I mean, if I'm watching something, I, you, you will rarely hear me laugh out loud. I'm watching things on TV, and I'm going, people, ah, I said, that's not that funny. You know, people just canned humor. I don't know if it's, but, so anyways, I, as I was thinking of that, and I said, well, okay, that's a good thing. But it's also important to understand that sometimes when we're laughing, you know, there's two ways, there's a few ways you could probably get points across. But the dealing of God in our life is so deep and so severe, if that's the word, or so serious, that either we laugh at those things or we will just be crushed to powder. You, now, through the week, most of us probably don't have an opportunity to really laugh at God's dealing in our life. Usually it's, now that's really the real dealing. So hopefully we are encouraged as we see those things in, in a different set of ways, but don't expect to go through the week laughing. It's, there's a different lesson you're learning. So when you're laughing, realize the only reason you're laughing is because otherwise you'd be crying and screaming, saying, oh God, please leave me alone, and I can't stand it anymore. So don't there's a way to compare those things, but do not make them, like, expect your life to be, oh, oh man, Sunday was great, but the rest of my life stinks. And uh, that's not the way it should be. There's a dealing of God in your life, and it's, it's God's purpose that we come to acknowledge Him and start to allow our lives to be transformed to His purpose. And that is a tremendous breaking. That's a tremendous work that goes on that only God Himself can do. And uh, the Bible actually says that if it, in the end times would be so bad that if it were possible, the very elect would fall away. So there's great pressure on us. So anyway, I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd share that with you because sometimes it's good to bring things away in a humorous sense, but the reality is it's, it's really not that funny. You know, sometimes we're just, just God's dealing with us is tremendous, it's deep, it's, it's, we don't understand it, and it produces things in our life that be nice if we could laugh about it all the time, but sometimes it just needs to be dealt with. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans. <coughs> Not Romans, Corinthians. <coughs> um, Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Chapter 3. Verse 9. Now, again, we're talking about bringing forth fruit. Now, we are all going to grow. Growth is not necessarily 
a sign that God is working in your life. It is not, it just happens. <clears throat> so let me read this, then we'll go on to what Jesus speaks about. In verse 9, For we are laborers together with God, we are God's husbandry. Now, in another translation, it makes it a little clearer what that word husbandry means. God's cultivated field. Okay, not a wild field, not a field left to itself, but a cultivated field. We are God's building. So I want us to look at that concept of being God's cultivated field. Now again, we, uh, Don shared very well at communion. Sometimes we look back and say, oh wow, if everything was just natural. We're kind of into that thing now, you know. And <clears throat> natural is not God's end result. Okay, when, when God made the natural world, he put someone in charge of it to make sure it was taken care of and made a cultivated field, not just a wild field. The field of the sluggard, someone who does not take care of his field, the things still grow. They just grow wildly. And you can tell the difference. Proverbs says, I went past the field of the sluggard. Wasn't that male? It was just a beautiful asphalt thing. Nothing was growing. No. Things were overgrown. They were, the trees were knocking down. The buildings, the fences were falling down because of overgrowth. Not taken care of. So again, we can become deceived simply because we think we're growing. Growth is just part of a natural process that takes place in our lives. <clears throat> now, let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 15. It's this cultivating process that I believe is the work of the Holy Spirit and the work that the church should be involved in, the reason there's gifts in the church, and the work that we should be about. Now, that's why the Bible says, a child left to itself will do what? Will bring its mother or parents shame. Why? Because it's growing in ways that it is not trained in. And we are to be people that are training growth. The Holy Spirit wants to train us. The Holy, or another word is disciple us, or equip us, or to teach us His ways. Holy Spirit will come, He will teach us those things of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, sometimes we think, well, I'm growing, and we think, no, growth is just a natural process. It's the cultivating that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Jesus says, I am the true vine, in verse 1 of chapter 15. My Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Okay, now that we're starting to look at what the husband, or God, is looking for in his church. See, now, grapes. Now, most of these things are talking about, now he says, the true vine. Mostly, and he uses that because it's, it's, it's a little more illustrative, I think grapevines. They will grow rampantly into where you cannot even get through them over the years. But they really don't bring forth much fruit like that. Now what is he looking for? He's looking for fruit, not just greenery. Now remember when he comes to, when Jesus comes to the fig tree. All kinds of green on it, but what does he do? There's no fruit. and He, he curses it. I find that a strange thing. From my human perspective, I go, Man, why is he... Growth is not enough. Something else needs to take place. 
And in order to bring forth the kind of fruit that God is looking for, then he gives us this book, which describes what love is. See, now again, we need to come back and say, oh, again, we think love is something naturally we know how to do. No, naturally we do not know how to love. This book now begins to tell me and describes to me what love is. Sometimes love is working hard. Sometimes love is crying. Sometimes love is having to be, take a strict hand. Sometimes, wow, I didn't know that. Well, coming back to the place of saying, God, can you teach me what I'm to be and who I'm to be and how I'm to think? So, branches now to bring forth fruit. Now, if you do bring forth fruit, what does he say? He says he's going to purge that. He's going to, to do what? To bring forth more fruit. Now, again, <coughs> it's not a natural thing. If you see a tree bring forth fruit, your natural thing is, don't touch that tree, because we're going to let it bring fruit. But that is not correct. Saying, oh. Now again, see, there is natural revelation that we can get. See, when it comes to natural revelation and selfish things, we figure these things out pretty good. See, now if we just relied on nature feeding humanity, we, most of us would be starving to death. There's not, a, there's not a farm that is left, even organic farms, that are left up to just nature. Well, just let it grow. No, they're taken care of, they're watered, they're pruned, they're weeded, they're fertilized. All things, bugs are taken care of in order to bring forth more fruit. Now, we figure those things out, but then when it comes to the church, somehow our, we get, I, I think, I don't know if it's the devil or what it is, we get our brains sucked out. We think nothing of going to buy these big, beautiful strawberries. And I see people brag about it. Look at these strawberries they got. Three boxes for a dollar, and they're so big. No one would come and say, look at these puny little things I got, you know. We say, we get those figured out. But then when it comes to spiritual things, it's kind of like we, we don't, we're not able to put those things together. I think that's why Jesus says that the children of this age, the children of this world, are smarter than the children of light. When it comes to figuring out natural things, oh, well, we understand God's principles. But then when it comes to really touching our lives, we go, nope, that doesn't work. Don't you dare prune me. I don't want any... And we wonder why we're not moving in the things of God. We're starving to death. Well, because we're trying to work, eke out this little thing without taking care of the garden. The garden must be taken care of. We are God's cultivated field, or God's garden. <coughs> and he's going to take care of that. Now, to bring forth much fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken you. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear forth fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Now, there needs to be a place to where, if we're going to bear forth fruit, we need to be people that are abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first place that needs to get started. I must recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, give my life to Him, repent of my sins. And the Bible actually goes in another place, I believe it's in Romans, it talks about we, as, as, as a Gentile, as those that were outside of the kingdom of God, were wild olive branches. We were actually cut off. We had no life. We were grafted in to the real olive tree. And we get our life from that. And that same way, it's saying we need to be grafted in and bring our life from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, most fruit that we eat comes from grafts. They're grafted trees. But again, that is just, there is no guarantee that even if you graft that tree, there's fruit. 
after that graft is in, needs to be taken care of, needs to be pruned, needs to be trimmed, needs to be cultivated. So again, so, oh, I'm grafted in. Well, you can still grow as not correctly. There needs to be, that's why he says, my father is the husbandman. Now, it's very interesting. I, wor- I worked uh, on an orchard many years ago. Most of us were pretty, uh, we didn't know what we were doing. But the orchard man knew what he was doing. And he would come and tell us exactly what to do. And we did that. And guess what? I mean, you had cherry trees. and just you, Cherries everywhere and pears everywhere and apples. Everywhere. We had no idea what we were doing. But the orchard man would tell us, you do this, and you do this, and you do this. And we would do that, and fruit would come forth. So, again, there's a process. Now, again, we, we understand these things naturally. We think, well, why is he talking about this? I mean, if you go to work somewhere, but even that's falling apart, you would, there's the boss, and he tells you what to do, and you do that. But, and we understand all these things in the principles of if you want you know, big fruit, you've got to do this. And most of us run our lives on that. But somehow when it comes to the church, we kind of throw these things out and say, well, God is just kind of like, no, no, no. He's saying, this is the way that it is. There's a cultivating process that needs to go on. This is what I believe the work of the church for one another really needs to focus in on and get a revelation of saying, oh, God wants to cultivate me to bring fruit out of my life. Okay. Now, see, the plant, the plant itself doesn't really care what kind of fruit it brings forth. And the plant itself really doesn't, the plant itself doesn't prune itself. So you don't get, you don't even get another, you don't even get something from the same species to prune it or train it. Because they don't know what to do. You know, you don't get a grape, I mean, it sounds crazy, but this is what we talk about, you know, in, in, in the church. You don't get a grape to prune a grape. It doesn't happen. You actually get something that's not even related to the plant world, you get a person that says, you know what, I want that grape to produce this kind of fruit. Now, the plant is just going to grow, but it grows in accordance with what it's been cultivated to. See, if it's not cultivated, it just continues to grow and have little fruit, no fruit, whatever. But then here comes this stranger and says, I'm going to start whacking this thing down. I mean, he whacks it if you've ever worked on any of these plants. I mean, I remember when, they, when, they, when some of the guys, the brothers started to work on, on the nursery, the, uh, the orchard, they were afraid to cut the trees. They said, man, you're going to kill these things. The guy said, whack this thing off and cut this off. And they remember the branch that produced a lot of fruit last year and whacked that. And the grapes are even worse. I mean, grapes in a, in a, in a season, one grape could cover this entire, you know, inside of the building here. They cut it back to one stick. And you go, wow, what is See, the grape left to itself will not do that. The grape, in order to produce fruit, needs what? Stay with me now. It, need, it needs pruning, which needs a, needs a man. Wow, wait, this could be in Genesis. God goes back and says, I'll put you in the garden to take care of what I created. Now, see, there is a revelation. Most of us throw that revelation out. And what is the primary revelation in the church? How is God going to take care of his garden? He's going to do it himself. God is too rich to work for himself. Okay? He is not going to prune. You know, Aaron works for, for fairly wealthy people doing landscaping. They don't go out and prune themselves, do they? 
they don't even want to know what you do, do they? They just want it to look good. Right? Yeah. They don't come out and say, excuse me, Aaron, I'm coming. No, they... See, now I know that God, that's not the reason God does it because he's so rich, but... And we see again, that's a, a clear principle right in the first few verses, and we miss it. And we come back to this, no, if God wants it done, he'll do it himself. What a stupid thing to do. I don't... He said he created the world, then you know what he did? He rested. He said it's done. Wow. We're still trying to get that. Oh. Now the reason I don't I think we don't get that is because the plant that God wants to deal with, while every eye is open, is who? It's me. How do you like to grow? And then God says, Nope. Nope. How many people ever see a bonsai tree? Totally unnatural thing. Does anybody anybody here hate bonsai trees? Most people look at them and go, oh, isn't that beautiful? Didn't get that way on its own. Little Chinese man, Japanese man, you know, (laughs) doing these little things. And they go, you know, years of work. Now, a bonsai tree left to itself would be some ugly tree in a forest. Wouldn't even notice it. God wants us to be the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Now, it's not so much the planting, it's the cultivating that we're looking at. Most of us like to go back to the planting, but God says, don't worry about that. I've done that. See, Adam didn't get judged on what God did. He got judged on what he was supposed to do. All right, with what God gave him. Now, if we're God's plant, or God's planting, cultivated field, He wants to shape us as He sees fit. Now, the problem is with, and Paul, Peter actually gives another example, living stones. It's kind of the same kind of a deal. We are living stones built together on the foundation, and God puts us in the body as He sees fit. Now, A lot of times it's easy to get these principles down when you're building a building or doing something natural because you're not working with living stones. You're working with two-by-fours, two-by-sixes, and cement. Never have I... If I make, when, I, when I lay cement, it stays there. It's done. But with living stones, we might lay the cement and living stones says, I don't want to be here. I think I want to be over here. And the two-by-four you cut says, no, I don't want to be cut that way. I want to be a little bit longer. No, I don't want to be in the bathroom. I want it to be in the kitchen. No, I... And we do not allow God then to be the husbandman. We start to dictate what we want. And this is why many times we do not submit to God's direction. Even though it's very clear, we start... We go back to... want it to be natural. Well, God will... No, God has done the work. Now he's saying, Adam, children, cultivate. I want you to grab hold of this work and let my mind be in you and start thinking like I think. Okay. So we need to be in Jesus Christ and abide in him. First thing that needs to be is I cannot bring forth fruit of myself. I must be in Christ. I must be born again. I must repent of my sins. I must confess him as Lord knowing that Jesus Christ died for my sins. But now that I'm there, how then should I walk? How should I allow the Holy Spirit and God's kingdom 
his church to work in my life? How do I then react to that? I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now again, I think it's kind of interesting the way Jesus talks here. He may be a little sterner than I would talk. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and what happens? Men gather them. Men gather them. I find that interesting. Usually you'll find that you'll start being gathered by other things. You'll start thinking like other men. You'll start having other friends. You'll start having men gather them. See, not the Holy Spirit, not angels. I think that's. I just think that's interesting. And they cast them in the fire and they are burned. And if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. Verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As a Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Let me just read the entire thing. These things have I spoken unto you, that my, your, my joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. Now, how many people, when you read that, sometimes go, I don't have that joy? Has anybody here like that besides me? I mean, yesterday I was just kind of, yeah, oh, good, thank you, I see those hands. All need to repent, get saved. Yesterday I was kind of like, I'm not feeling well, I don't like being sick. I mean, I can tolerate, I don't mind being sick for one day. That's okay. Any more than that, it's pushing me. When it lasts three or four days, that's it. What's the problem here? And I begin to get angry. And uh, then when I'm angry and sick, I'm not usually thinking real well. And I start being unthankful. Anybody follow these patterns? Is this pattern familiar in your life too? And uh, beginning, you know, you start grousing and being complaining. And then you start. Then, then all. Then the devil, I think, brings the scripture to your brain. Just like they think he brought the scriptures to Jesus' brain. If you be the Son of God, you can. And if you be, see, and you start thinking, well, where's the joy? Yeah, yeah, that's right, where is the joy? Well, you threw it under the bus. You stopped, you stopped believing the truth, and you believed the lie. You started thinking, men started gathering you up. So, when we come into these things, see, the devil sometimes, the devil is, I think he knows scripture better than us. And I think some of the greatest temptations we have, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, they were... Scriptural temptations, if you would. If you be the Son of God, you can and you can. But he understood that there's something actually, if you can hear this, because Jesus even said this to the Pharisees, you're studying the Scripture thinking you're going to learn something, but don't you understand these Scriptures speak of me? Sometimes I've seen people, they just get into the Scripture, but they they miss the intent or the heart of Scripture and never come to know that's what it's really speaking about. So we had Pharisees studying and studying. said, you, you, you've missed the entire meaning. And so as we read the Scripture, it's got to come to a practical place of practice that cultivates my life. And realizing that cultivating is not always an easy process. Like I said, plowing, breaking up clods, pruning, it's usually not... I mean, it's even traumatic on the plant. I mean, you could think, you know, that's why I think plants can't talk. Could you imagine? 
Don't do that. Now, see, we can talk, unfortunately. Everything would be better if we were plants. So, these things I have spoken unto you that your joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, again, we, we like that, don't we, when we hear things like that. But like I, I was preaching a while back, and again, speaking to this generation, most of us are products of the 60s generation. Irregardless of whether we grew up in the 60s or not, our parents did, or the tremendous impact of the, the, the 60s and the hippie movement has affected us. So, when, especially for me. Now, when I read these things, this is my commandment that you love one another. I kind of see Woodstock. Hair bands on, people in flowered clothes, painted faces, all spaced out, couldn't put two and two together, and we're grooving. That's what I, now, most of us, when we have something like, what do you think of when you should love one another? And when you read that, do you get a warm feeling? How many people have been disappointed? And many times we're disappointed because, and that we're disappointed because we're shooting at the wrong thing. God has no intention of putting something in your Kool-Aid. Okay, God has no intention of, of Woodstock. See, that's something that I thought of, and I thought, oh, this is love. You know, and there's all the songs in the world about what love is and what love isn't. And we've got to be cultivated. And here's the cultivation book. And say, oh, that is not love. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now he's going to go on to, de to, de to show you and explain to you what that love is. Because some of them might have had some funny ideas too. Greater love has no man than this than he lays down his life for a friend. Now how many people here want someone or look for love for someone laying down their life for them? And most of the time when we're not being loved, we think, well, they didn't love me enough. That's not who he's talking to. He's saying there's no greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for a friend. And, he, and before this time, remember he said, did you understand? No, it's after this time. He's going to make it very clear. I'm your Lord and Master, but I'm laying down my life for you. This is love that you, is there any yous here? You lay down your life for someone else. You lay down your life for a friend. That's love. Did you get the rousing amen there? See, because that's something that will cultivate me. Because how many of us naturally would lay down your life for anybody here? Because they wouldn't appreciate it. They wouldn't even know it. That's not your call. Jesus has given his life for people who don't even know it. He died for their sins while they were yet nailing, us, nailing him to the cross. He said, that's the love of my Father, and I want that love to be in me. So Jesus, while he was here on this earth, was cultivated. He cultivated the Son of Man, his body, into the purpose of God. There is things that need to be cultivated in us. The greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friend. Ye are my friends, if, I, if you do whatsoever I command you. Now again, these are funny things to me. Again, we think love, excuse me, has no commandments, right? We think if you love, you don't ever have to be told what to do. You would naturally just know what to do. 
How many people here are led by love all the time? Now, God is making some statements here. And this is what I want to be talking about. If we give our hearts to being discipled and to fulfill God's purpose, there's cultivation or commandments. Now, he uses that word quite a bit here. This is my commandment, that you love one another. What's that mean? You lay down your life for one another. Greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for his friend. And you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Wow. Well, let's look at how that's supposed to now work in our lives. Now, see, <coughs> we talked about there should be fruit happening in our lives. Growth is a natural process, but God is looking for a particular kind of a lot of fruit. And He wants to bring out of your life the fruit that He wants. Not the fruit that you're looking for, or the fruit that you want, or all the greenery you want. He is working in you a process. And as you give yourself to that process you're going to find that your life is changed and you're going to have to apprehend by faith God's purpose. Now, let's turn to Proverbs. Make sure I've got the right thing here. This idea of commandments needs to be something that we grasp hold of as a godly thing, as a right thing, as a way that God is going to speak in our lives. Now, I don't think God necessarily has to always give the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, I think when he gave the Ten Commandments, he didn't call them the Ten Commandments. I think Ben-Hur came up with that or something. Uh, Charlton Heston. <coughs> But we came up with that. See, I think God speaks. When God speaks, He's commanding because He's God. See, when He said, Adam, see, He didn't have to say, but because of sin, we feel in order, we have to be forced to do things. Somehow we just kind of feel like if we're, if we're forced to do something, then we really didn't do it on our own. You made me do it. But see, in the beginning, God created the... Now, when God said, Adam, name all the animals, was that a command? Yes. Well, yes. But you don't see Adam throwing a fit about that, and man, you can't tell me what to do, and who do you think I am? That's too big of a job. How do you expect me to find all the animals anyway? And No. Adam, don't eat of the tree. It was a command. Now, many times I think we do not lean our ear. That's why Jesus says, you're my friend if you do what I command. Now, I think there's a place to have a walk with God where God is commanding us just as a natural course of speech. Not having to say, okay, you guys better do this and you better listen. I think that's, that's the last resort that God would like to come to and really doesn't produce what he wants to produce. There comes a place to where we start leaning our ear to understanding and saying, this is God speaking to me. See, just like here, what I said, see, God is laying out a pattern here. And this is where the book of Proverbs is given. So we can start to have understanding. See, how was the garden taken care of? It was taken care of by Adam. God had given Adam some direction and let it take place. Now, in that sphere... Or in that work, did Adam make some mistakes? Oh, we sure know he did. Not only did he make some mistakes, he sinned 
grievously, just as we would have all sinned, and we have sinned. But God still lets that go on. His purpose is unchanged, and He is in control. And we cannot, we should never go back to being wild grapes, no matter what it looks like. Because sometimes it'll look, man, it just doesn't look. Hear my command. So now the book of Proverbs. I want us to begin to look at this concept in our, in your life. And if you come to this, then God will be able to start to work in you something that you are unable to work yourself if you give yourself to it. Now, if you don't, like I said, you'll continue to grow, but there's not going to be that overwhelming victory, that overwhelming drive of, of Christ in your life and the kingdom being fulfilled in you. And again, these are things that we need to understand. Now, again, most of us understand these things naturally. You understand that, you know, I need to be at work at 7.30. It takes me about an hour to drive to work, so I need to leave my house at 6.30. We're able to put that together. Well, I think God wants us to be able to put some things together on how we should serve Him and then let Him do the mystical work of fulfilling that. Okay, the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. So we want to be now allow God's Word to cultivate us and develop a mind in us that thinks like God thinks. Now, understand that is not the natural process. Left to yourself, on a daily basis, the grapes go, they, they, they revert back to the natural state. There's a continual pruning, at least every year, every season, that needs to be done. But in us, it's a continual process daily of washing us with the Word, proving one another, and encouraging one another. Okay, Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Why, are these, why is this book given? To know wisdom and instruction to perceive the, the words of understanding. Okay, now it's, it's speaking to us, saying, I'm writing you something so you can understand wisdom and instruction. Now, most of us think we will, oh, we, oh, we, we, we'll hear things pretty good. I, I, nope. I need to have my eyes understand what is wisdom, what is understanding. You're going you're gonna to learn it from reading this book. To receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. comes a place to learn how to receive wisdom. See, most of us really are not good receivers. See, we think we are, but most of us are not. If I think if we were all good receivers, everybody in the world would be saved. See, we have good news. God has come to forgive you all your sins. You can have eternal life. I don't want to receive that. And here someone comes and says, I don't want to receive that. I don't want to do that. You can't tell. Learning how to receive. See, the natural vine in us is, is proud, it's stubborn, does not want to receive. One of the hardest things for people to do is to receive because you already know something. You already have another idea. To put that away is the pruning that God wants to do in our life. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Now we're going to come back to that. It's very important and I don't know if we'll get to that today. I don't know if I should start on that today, but we'll obtain unto wise counsel. I'm going to touch on that because I might not get back to that. So first off, a wise man will what? A wise man's listening. A wise man will hear counsel. He will increase in learning. And a man of understanding will attain unto wise counsel. Have you ever been in this place? <clears throat> well, no one ever told me not to do that. And now they're coming down on me. 
Well, I didn't, I didn't know that was wrong. I just did it. It's your fault. It's your fault because you were dumb. Okay? The Bible says a wise man will do what? Well, they never told me not to. It's not their job to tell you. It's your job to seek out or attain to wise counsel. Jesus didn't heal everybody. Jesus didn't save everybody in the, in the sense that they experienced salvation. He didn't go around saying, are you sick? Are you sick? Are you sick? It was those that attained unto him that he would heal. It's those that sought after him. And the Bible even says, those that seek will find. Those that knock, will be, it will be open. There's an attaining. There needs to be something that says, I am not sufficient in myself Given my own understanding, I will go astray. I want to attain unto wise counsel. Now, what happens with experience is after a while is we think we know something. Now, I don't know how many days they were in the garden. Maybe it was a few hours. Maybe it was a few weeks. Maybe a few days. I think it was a rather short period of time. But after a while, they began to become comfortable with things. They began to be comfortable with their experience. They began to know some things. And the Bible says, be careful when you know something. That's when you're going to fall. But after a while of experience, we think we don't need to ask anymore. And Adam didn't need to ask Adam anymore. And there was a problem. So a person will attain unto wise counsel. Now there's all kinds of things that are going to rise up against in you against that. I'm too old. Oh, it's embarrassing. I already know what to do. Oh, I know what they're going to tell me. Well, you can do that, or you can say, oh, this is what the Bible says. This is what God wants me to do. I'll give myself to that, and I'm going to, something will, I'm going to be being pruned to bring forth much fruit. Okay, so we're going to talk about counsel on a, on a later time. But I want us to get that idea that doesn't just come to you. A man will attain under wise counsel. He'll press to get that. He thinks it's a value to get that. The natural person will not do it. He just waits for someone to help and nothing happens. Okay. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and a dark saying. Now, I think this is very important. See, many times God is not, God many times does not speak openly in the sense that, well, I understand that, or puts all the mysteries right out there. But if we're following him, we'll be able to hear him. See, there's, there's a way of which I need to think and hear so I understand what someone is talking about. And it says, I want to give you the secrets of how to know God and what he's going to interpret his words and the dark saying. Sometimes we're hearing things, but we go, I don't understand what that means. Jesus was speaking one time. He says, you don't even understand what I'm saying because your thinking is not bent yet to hear my words. There needs to be, okay, and I'm going to start thinking like this book. I'm going to start thinking like this, what this tells me to do. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, that's, again, a very natural thing for us to do. We don't hear instruction or wisdom. Oh, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, who do you think I am? I'm no square. I'm no Oprah. I'm that. No. Fools despise wisdom. Oh, you can't tell me what to do. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, he puts those two things together. What would the fear of the Lord actually, if it's actually working in our life, what should the fear of the Lord produce? Someone who hears instruction 
and hears wisdom. Oh, well, I fear God, I serve God, but I don't listen to my dad, I'm mad, dad, tell me what they're always against. You don't know. You're just growing like a wild tree. The fear of the Lord, it produces in someone that says, I hear wisdom, I'll do that. I hear instruction, I hear correction. I trust I trust in the Lord more than myself. And actually, Proverbs chapter 3, one of our favorite things, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. But most of us lean to our own understanding. He that trusts himself is a fool. shouldn't trust yourself. I have to trust what God is saying more than I trust myself. And this is something that is, is not learned in one... It's never really... It's never completely learned, even in the plant world. You can prune a tree, you can prune a tree, you can prune a tree. So then I, I used to just try to prune this one tree to grow a certain way. And every year it would just kind of grow the other way. And I'm like, when is it going to learn? And God said, mm-hmm. You have to continually prune it. It never learns. It's a continual process. So don't get discouraged. You're never going to learn. See, and the Bible says... And then we get mad. You know why? Because deep down in us, we want to be God. That's the original sin. I want to be like God. I want to know what I need to know. I want to be able to do what I want to do. I want to learn what I... The Bible says the carnal mind cannot learn the things of God. It can't agree with them. It needs a pruner. It needs a continual pruning. (coughs) Okay. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. Now, Proverbs makes this wonderful comparison. You should be able to go, which one are you acting like? Okay. Then no matter what you say, you're a fool. Because this is what you're doing. Oh, I am fearing God, but I I, I never get to do what I want. But you're fearing God, and this is the fruit that God is looking for. Okay? All right. Now, going to get to instruction. Verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Now, many times we kind of run into problems, and maybe you have had these same thoughts. People say, well, just live the word, practice the word. But really, when you start to practice the word, there's not really a whole lot you can practice. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, what TV show do you watch? Well, it's not in there. Who should I vote for? Well, it's not in there. What church should I go? There's a lot of things that aren't in there. Well, that's why he says you have to have the book of Proverbs and this other cultivator working in you, the Holy Spirit, so you can learn to hear God's dark saying. So now he's going to say, here is going to be a key that works in you. Now, as long as I... I think this is going on since time immemorial. Uh, Esau did it, I know. He was mad, so he went in. He married a lady from Canaan, right? Just because he didn't like what his father did. Then there was another one. It was Esau, then... Who was Jacob and... That was Jacob and Esau. Ishmael did, too. Yeah, they did that. And so the, the instruction was, don't marry anybody from Canaan, but Ishmael married a girl from Canaan. I, Esau, he, he did it out of spite, because his dad... He, his dad... Uh, kind of gave the blessing to Jacob and says Esau just he knew that his dad wanted him not to marry a game from Canaan so he married a girl from Canaan now there seems to be in the natural and something we need to war against there's a generational fight sons and children 
war against their parents. I don't know why that is, but it is. And so you have this natural thing that rises in us, that first that we don't want to hear instruction, we don't want to hear commandments, and then we always think that mom and dad don't know what they're talking about. Now, even though this is going to be talking mostly on a father-son relationship, I don't want you to hold that to the children. Because I believe it's talking about us as a people that should have a Hebrew mentality or a godly mentality of how our society, the Jamet, the Ecclesiastes of God, should be organized. I believe there are things that should be in us that are principles that say, this is the way that we believe. And it governs my life. So now if we come down to like, what should I do? God now is going to reveal to you how that is going to take place. My son, hear the instruction of your father and forsake not the law of your mother. Now I believe God again. If we understand God's working from the very beginning, God commands things to be true, puts Adam in charge of those things. Now Adam, from the very beginning, it's Adam who commands Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, did you, did you, did you, did you understand that? Now, if, you un, if you don't understand this, I know you're, you're many are balking against and trying to find scriptures against it, but it was God created Adam and said, Adam, this is the way that it is. Eve came on the scene later. She was told. Now, she understood at that point that was as if God was talking to her. There was no problem. It was only after sin that there was a major problem, and that's what we're dealing with. See, God's ways are perfect. I've become imperfect. Therefore, I look at God saying, man, his ways are not perfect, and I, just, I don't understand why he's and I can't believe it. There's a great song in, in uh, Fiddler on the Roof. I think it really expresses some deep things. If I were a rich man, would it, would it break some vast eternal plan? If I was a wealthy man, what would it hurt if I sing that song almost every day? Because the things that just I just don't I just don't understand. What's the problem here? What's the deal here? Why why you know would it really be that God's got something in mind? I need to do what He says and start to fall in love with that. Okay, <coughs> so God's methods or God's plan of cultivation is at work. Okay, so my son. Hear the instruction of your father. Now, what is God telling you to do? Let, let me hear that. Let's everybody say that. Wow, this is tough. Because this is real. See, this is real. Well, I'm just being led of the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. It's great to be here. Hear the instruction of your dad. Dad is real flesh and blood. Dad is going to make mistakes. Dad is going to be dad. Dad has got some personal opinions. Dad likes certain TV shows. Dad doesn't like some certain TV shows. Dad wants you in bed at a certain time. Dad doesn't want you in bed at a certain time. Now do you feel some anger raising? How many of you want to marry a Canaanite lady? I don't care if dad says go to bed at midnight. You'll go to bed at 7. Or you'll want to. You'll want to go to bed at 9. Whatever, 2. God is saying, here is my instruction. Here is my instruction. This is the way I'm going to work in your life. And for years, the attack on the church, almost from the very beginning, you see it in Paul. God's plan of direction and authority 
was attacked till it was pretty much out of the church and we are left to pretty much grow wild with not much fruit. And God is saying, sheep need a shepherd. A vineyard needs some cultivating. This is my plan. Okay, so my son, hear the instruction of your father. Okay, now I need to say, all right, this must be good. Now, I am speaking now to the church primarily. And what I believe this to mean is that people in the church, or part of the church in the vine, should be people that are submitted to the direction of the church. And they should say, okay, and then from that direction, they then are guiding their house. So just be like the children of Israel. They weren't like, okay, well, I'm the dad, I do whatever I want. No, I am the father, and I am placed here by God to teach you God's ways. I am also a man under authority. And this is the great revelation that the, the centurion, when he spoke to Jesus, said, you don't need to come to my house, just speak the word only, because I am a man under authority. He understood that when he told his soldiers to march, it wasn't him telling the soldiers to march, it was Caesar. And if they didn't obey him, they were going to have the full wrath of Caesar down on there. So he understood he was a man under authority. He couldn't say, okay, well, I'm the centurion here, uh, let's go surrender to the Jews. No, his head would have been taken off. He was man under authority. And each one of us also need to live our lives as people that are under authority, that people that are walking under the same kind of discipline and following the same kind of teaching that is that we're also teaching. So, my son, hear the instruction of your father. So, father's jobs. Well, spiritual fathers, we know that Paul talks about spiritual fathers, leaders in the church, supposed to hear them. The Bible makes it very clear. It says, obey them that have the rule over you. And we go, my goodness, no one rules over me. This is America and I'm a free man and I'm 18 now and I never know it. Okay. Let that happen. Okay, I'm going to give myself to that. Now, how many people are already out there? Well, what if he tells me to? This is God's commandment to love one another. So my son, hear the instruction of your father. There's going to come instruction. Now most of us veer away from hearing instruction and number two, giving instruction. We don't like to be telling people what to do because then it's confrontational and whether they don't listen. But God really causes us to instruct one another, to encourage one another, to provoke one another say, man, that's not the right thing to do. I tell you, that's not the right thing to do. You should be doing this. And that's why God got the commandments of God, and then he sets in fathers and elders and things and say, okay, order your house right. So, instruction. Instruction is like a command. It's something you should be doing. Now, what's it say? I need to give myself to that. Oh, okay. Now, what does a natural, what does a natural grape want to do? Just grow. We go to bed at 8 o'clock. What's the first thing in your mouth? Why? How come? My favorite show is on at 8.30. Immaterial. This is what... I give myself to that. And in giving myself to that, my mind is transformed to think in a different way. Okay? 
So the father is to be giving instruction. Now I'm going to, we're going to end here because forsake not the law of your mother. Now I want to give mothers a lot of credit here. Women seem to be a very trying to be kind here. It doesn't come naturally. They're, they're, they're just unusual. They're a paradox. I mean, men are, we're kind of unusual, but it's kind of like easy to figure us out. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, what you see is pretty much what you get. But women are unique species. They were taken from man, and they were given a very unique position. They're to be submitted to the man, but yet the Bible says they're the glory of the man. And I think there's a tremendous attack individually on men and women to make them exactly what they're not. But I'm just going to, we'll talk about that. We'll start on this next week. But forsake not the law of your mother. Now, women have this, I think, especially again, now we just had, you know, Sally just gave birth. Women have this unique ability to go through a tremendous amount of suffering. Not only just physically in birth, but sometimes they have to put up with husbands. They have to put up with, you see some things like Ruth goes through things, and they're able to then spring back and forgive. I mean, men wouldn't be like that. I was talking about it. So if men had to give birth, we wouldn't, we'd, the world would have about three people. We'd just say, this, I'm not doing this. This is dumb. I, know, I wouldn't put up with this. And, you know, I mean, any women, sometimes won't have three, four, five babies. It's like, didn't you learn your lesson the first time? You know? And then, the, I was, I, I, you know, and then again, the 60s. You know, husbands need to be in there for the birth. I said, get out of here. I don't want to be anywhere near that. You know, and then, oh, no, you need to be there. It's such a lovely experience. I don't want to be there. There's a reason why they call it midwives, not mid-husbands. We are not meant to do that. Okay, I mean, if you want to kind of hold her hand, you know, I guess that's okay. But women have a unique ability that God has given them to glorify the purpose of God, their family, their husbands, the church, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I believe there's such attack on femininism or being womenish. I'm not saying that bad. I'm trying to be good. Most now it's like you got these people, you know, butch haircuts and they're tattooed and they're you know like this, and there's no difference between men and women. There is a big difference between men and women, and God has made them have a big difference, and we should glory in that difference. Women should be women, and men should be men. So leave us out of the birthing room. <laughs> Now, I'm saying that because the instruction of the Father needs to be there. But then there's this unique ability, and I think even in the Hebrew culture, you know, the mother, the mother takes care of the traditions of the house. She sets in reality the vision of the father and the husband. That's why if you read Proverbs 31, you see this woman setting up this great thing, but for what reason? To take her husband in the gates and to glorify her husband fulfill the vision so a woman again <clears throat> under her husband carrying out the law of the, the, the vision and the purpose so when your mother gives you an instruction it may te be teaching you how to crochet learn how to crochet it's a law learn what it is to make your bed 
Learn what it is to keep your house. Learn what it is to love your husband. Learn what it is to put up with your husband. Learn what it is to... See, sometimes it, I'll just confess some things. <clears throat> and I, I, you know, I'm a Bedoyan, okay? I am one of the last full breeds around. And, but you, you rarely hear me talk about that, except maybe from up here on a, you know, kind of a, a, a you know, a jokey basis. But sometimes I take it pretty seriously. I think we need more brown. But <coughs> I'll hear my wife say, Bedoyan girls don't live like that. Bedoyan girls don't look like that. And she'll, 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 be, she'll, she'll make chlima. And she'll, she'll know what Postermeyer is. And she makes, you know, all these different things. And she talks about all these things. And I know she's only, she's done that. Now I know you think, oh, that's silly. Well, not so silly. She's actually carrying out, making these things that seem are up here a law that preserves the tradition. Now, I know that's kind of just, okay, that you can, that's just a cultural thing. But more so in the church. See, these cultures, these laws need to be, okay, my husband has a great work. He needs to be free to do the work of God. Well, then my work then is to make sure this house is in order and the kids are taken care of and this needs to be done and this needs... So when you're given something and you hear the instruction of your father... And don't forsake the law of your mother. When I'm 18, 16, I'm out of here. No foolishness. Foolishness, foolishness. You hear the law of your mother. This is the way we wash our clothes. This is the way we iron our clothes. This is the way... Oh, those things... That is where God... You read the book of Proverbs. Not a whole lot about how to pray in the Spirit. Not a whole lot about how to... It's... Don't be a jerk or someone will punch you in the nose. If you don't do that, they're going to punch you in the head. You know, some practical stuff. And where do most of our problems come from? Well, God left us here to live a godly life in the practical. And now he's saying, my children, I want to cultivate you in these things. I want you to start hearing instruction. And what do we need instruction on? How to live a godly life in this world to produce fruit. And that's going to start by hearing instruction in the reality, and then hearing the law of your mother. Mothers can really lay down the law. They're like, man, I say, man, you better listen to me or your mom's going to get you. I say, yeah, I'm, you know, because they, they take it seriously. You know, the law is, the room needs to be cleaned up like this. Oh. I remember, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, that is God's direction to me. How to I don't like, you better not wear that dress, young lady. Thank you, Mom. I'll, I'll go change that. I don't know what I... That's the way it should be. Now, that should be... Now, where are we going to learn that? We don't learn that in the home. We learn that first from God in the church, and then it carries to the home. God gave Moses the commandments set it up in the church and say this is the way you ought to live fathers instruct your children in this way mothers instruct your children in this way it doesn't come from the other way well we believe this we believe that no this is what we believe make it work over here and the fathers say got that we'll do that mothers say husband I'll help you in all that we can we'll get this house clean and we'll make this work and we'll give ourselves diligently to that and we find that whole ecclesia of God is being raised together 
And instead of bickering, we say, thank you, that's the right thing. That's a good thing. Because we're learning to say, that's wisdom speaking to me. Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to continue on that because I believe it's ultimately important to say, and that's what I'm going to give myself to. Amen? Okay, we have a picnic at the park. So we'll close and we'll head over there as soon as possible. Amen. Bless you.